Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. Hey, welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast. This week, we are joined by our good friends, Danny Schaffner and Jeff Sutton from Illinois. They're at a church called First Christian Church of Champaign, and we talk about the prevailing model or the established church to compare to the missional church, the missional movement. And this week, we dive into a lot of different ways in which we count or measure success. The reality is this, we could be as nimble as rhythm is being a church plant that just started this last fall and have pivoted because of COVID and walked through a whole bunch of change. And I'll liken that as a speedboat. We can zip through the water quickly. We can turn directions at a dime to an established church that may be a little bit bigger, more systems and structures, more staff, more overhead, a lot of things to consider that could be likened to the Titanic. And it could be really, really hard and difficult for that entity or organization or church to be able to, to turn or change directions. Regardless of a speedboat or a Titanic, it's less about the ways in which we can turn in the water and more about the destination that we're turning toward. And so this week we give a little bit about and work through a little bit with our friends, Danny and Jeff, on what is the destination that the American church is going toward? And what are the key components in that in terms of measuring health and success as we go forward? We hope you enjoy this. Danny's been a good friend of mine and a great uh, partner with us sitting on our management team uh, for Rhythm Community Church. And so we are blessed to, to have him and Jeff with us this week on the Life and Rhythm podcast. Enjoy. All right, fellas, thanks for joining us. Um, I know how COVID's impacted us and we are just over a year old. I can't imagine how COVID has disrupted a 70-year-old established church in the Midwest. So my first question's a really easy one, but how has COVID impacted you guys? Well, uh, besides the fact, I mean, we were already doing online services and all that stuff, but like not to the quality they needed to be. So after we did the initial panicked, let's get our, our services up to par and all this new equipment and all that, you know, the stuff that half the churches in the U.S. did, we hit this stark reality of like, wow, how much did we depend on meeting in person for a big service as part of our discipleship? And like that that we felt like that was, we didn't realize that that was um, so dependent on by us. And so as, a, as an established church, you often have the large gathering, and then you have groups, and that's kind of your whole mechanism. And, and we found with people not in the same room together that... Uh, first of all, a lot of your church isn't in groups to begin with. And so you just lose that relational value, that, that uh, close proximity to talk about real life, to do those things together. And so we were frankly a little bit shocked by just kind of going, wow, I mean, all our baptisms, all of our next steps just kind of frankly went in the toilet. And we were just kind of going, what? we didn't see this coming, you know? And, um, you know, I don't know, Dan, you can pick it up from there, but I well, I just think it's a God awakening for us in some ways that we had to realize that our programs were driving our people and our people were not driving our programs. And so what happened is as soon as the program disengaged, 
people's proximity, we realized where they weren't. They weren't necessarily next to somebody who didn't have faith. They weren't next to somebody who was spurring them on. You know, if they could, if they could jump into the program, it would naturally happen, and we would continue to have next steps. But um, yeah, it stopped, and we had recognized some of this beforehand. COVID uh, just made obvious to us what we were sensing in the established church and what we had to start pulling on a little bit here and there. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been both a huge gift and a stark awakening. So. so Jeff, you mentioned that you depended on the big service for discipleship. How have you guys since defined discipleship and, and what are the ways in which you're seeing that unfold post COVID or in the midst of this season right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, I wish I had a brilliant answer of how we've solved it. That's clearly still in process. <laughs> give <laughs> but, us the answers. Yeah, but but the reality is it's changed how we started to, uh, what our metrics are. Like, you know, the the typical church is going through how many butts are in the seats and, and you know, what you're offering or, you know, whatever. Those are, that's the honest truth. But I think when we started going, okay, well, those things haven't necessarily changed. Uh, I mean, they have physically, but, you know, you have online attendance and all those things. But we were starting to figure out how do you me- uh, measure next steps? Like what are the small things that show people are growing? And, and what we found out in that, even as we tried to figure out how do we measure them, you can only measure most of those in proximity. It's not like there's some, uh, well, we do have an app, but it doesn't have check this box if you have read your Bible today or whatever, you know what I mean? So, so in that proximity, we can say these small steps are being taken and it's showing that someone's actually growing in Christ. And so um, we are truly revamping our entire discipleship system right now. And, uh, and I think trying to lean into not just the big two or three metrics, but what does it look like to make small incremental changes daily in our walk with Christ? Do you have a, do you have a new scoreboard in terms of if it's not, you know, the ABC's attendance buildings cash, is there something else internally that is guiding those conversations? You, I mean, you say small incremental changes, yeah, so so if we recently, I mean, we're, we've been trying to push a lot of things forward in our church in general, and so we kind of revamped our values as a church. And so within our five values, there are next steps that help you in that area, of, you know. And so I think, um, you know, for you know, the obvious one is maybe you start giving for the first time, or you you give for the first time ever, not not even recurring, but it also might be you went to a group or you've. Uh, you started to lead a group or some some more qualitative kind of next steps rather than just checking that box of... Yeah, so je- so I'm assuming... I, I haven't memorized your core values. I'm sorry, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead and stop recording. Right? Let's come back in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm assuming one of them is generosity. Uh, life-giving. 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 So yeah. that's where the tracking... So based on that value, you're yeah. tracking somebody's... Yeah, and in generosity. Yeah, and that doesn't even necessarily mean monetarily. I mean, we, right. we consider that to be through how you serve, through how you work with other people in the community. All those pieces are now included rather than you gave X amount. You know what I mean? Sweet. Okay. You know, some of this, you know, like, so our first value is a loving community. And so that begins to be uh, a challenge point for us all. Um, what is a life, what, what, what does that look like for us? You know, and so how do we start measuring those things? And so when you have the, as you call the ABCs, we uh, we always called it the three B's, you know, so it's your butts and seats, bucks in the plate, and baptisms in the tank. Well, okay, those big three are, you know, they're pretty, what we would call quantifiable. 
but qualitative or quantifi- qualifiable for us began to say, okay, so what happens when uh, Champagne Charlie shows up in our building and he's he was a butt in the seat, but he can't put his butt in the seat anymore? Mm-hmm. How do we know where he is and what's going on? And so we started realizing as a loving community, are we in proximity to him? Is he in proximity to us? Is he extending his own influence into a community? And what does that look like? And then we started saying, okay, well, what are what are the kind of things there? It could be as simple as have they joined us, whether it's be through the app or some sort of social media. That those are really low low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. But when we start seeing something like, okay, Champagne Charlie has actually stepped out and engaged a friend who is far from God and had a faith conversation. Bam. That's also what it means to be part of a loving community. And so how do you have that conversation? And yeah, I'm just clarifying who Champagne Charlie is. We live in a city called Champagne. He doesn't just really like champagne. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be both. It could be both, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so we, you know, you think about the average person that connects with us, especially uh, if they're far from God or have a deep relationship, what does that kind of person look like? And so Champagne Charlie, the average Joe, so to speak, in our community, um, they're taking these next steps and getting a chance to walk with us on that, so... Okay. I mean, let's, let's be honest, okay? So you asked for a definition of discipleship. You know, far be it from us to rewrite anything. You know, Jesus' definition was come follow me, right? You know, yeah. and so we live in this dynamic where we go, in discipleship, we know that what God is doing in us should happen through us as well. You know, and I think the American church, when we look at programs over people rather than people driving programs, we recognize that we have been consuming at a level that Christians oftentimes just eat from the smorgasbord of discipleship. I want this class. I want this knowledge. I want this understanding. And what we do is, and and we actually talked about this a little bit uh, as we gathered and worshiped this weekend about the constipation of the American church. It consumes, it consumes, it consumes. And unless it exercises and actually has a chance to express its gifts, it just kind of clogs up. And that's where we are kind of... In, in a lot of things with America. If we're if what God is doing in us, God's doing through us and influencing the world around us, we should be accountable for that followership before Jesus. What kind of witness, what kind of impact are we having in the world around us? I like that. One of the things we've been trying to communicate over and over again to our people is a clear definition mm-hmm. of discipleship because you say the word disciple, number one, yeah. it seems antiquated. Yep. For the we use the word Christian, which in the New Testament is only used three times right. in in an antagonistic way. Yeah. The word disciple, however, is two hundred sixty nine times. I believe you can go back and check me. I'm pretty sure it's two hundred sixty nine times, and that seems to be Jesus's favorite word, mm-hmm. as uh, you know the Greek word methetes, which means learner yeah. or someone who is an apprentice of. And I, we we stumbled upon this report from 2020 that was 26 nonprofit discipleship agencies. Mm-hmm. So 26 separate agencies came together for a summit early 2020 and tried to ask that question and answer mm-hmm. it together yeah. in a unified way. Mm-hmm. What do we say a disciple is? And they went exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. They went to Matthew 4 where Jesus says, come follow me yeah. and I will make you a fisher of men. And so they broke it into three categories. They said a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, follow me. Yeah. Um, and I will make you is being changed by Jesus, fishers of men, and is a part of, is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so they like all 26, it was really helpful for us when we stumbled yeah. across this report yeah. because it was like, oh wow, 26 different agencies came together and actually came up with a very clear, concise 
biblical definition of somebody who's following Jesus, somebody who's being changed by Jesus. I personally, as a spiritual formation buff, like love Mm -hmm. the idea of let's include within discipleship a way of being with Jesus that transforms us into the way of being like him, becoming like him, not just um, doing the things that he's doing, but becoming the sort of thing inside out that is like him. This this is intriguing. I um, just spontaneously I want to respond to this a little bit. I think the catalyst of that passage, though, they, that's a great framework. There's an internal catalyst that has to happen in that decision towards followership, or that's the phrase we would use. I often use Christ follower, Jesus follower, um, because it's not just a learner, but it's somebody who's actually repeating that uh, that actual lifestyle back out. Those that end up following Jesus literally say the phrase, but because you said so, I will. And there is a lordship issue in all of us that we surrender ourselves before God. Um, And we can only unite, I think, in the mission of Jesus when we take a posture of submission Mm. and live it out in humility. Wow. And that that is, I think that's the antagonist partly of the American church, especially the established church, because it is set up in a consumer mindset where I want this, I want that, I am the one dictating my own growth, where there actually comes a catalytic point where as followers of Jesus, do we first and foremost want to take the posture that says my knee is bent, my head is bowed, and my hands are extended? Ooh, say that again. <laughs> do, <it. laughs> just, do we want to take a posture where our knees are bent, yeah. our head is bowed, and our hands are extended? Yeah, and I, you know, even in that passage in Matthew 4, I remember freshman year, Moody Bible Institute, Joseph Stoll was the president, and he gave a sermon on being a netless follower of Jesus. So he talked about Matthew 4, and he, right before this passage where it says, hey, follow me, come, right before the invitation, Jesus says, he finds them fishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally the scripture passage says, they threw their nets into the water for they fished mm-hmm. for a living. And then he makes the invitation, and then it says, they left their nets mm-hmm. at once. They yep. submit, they completely gave up. Yep. And so when I say follow Jesus, I don't think most American ears contextually right. Right. hear lordship. They think Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Who do I prefer to follow? They don't think I bow to this. Yeah. They think it's convenient and it, I get something out of it, mm. which is why you know a lot of studies have been ton, you know, done about people who attend. Sunday morning services, and they're not actually submitting, like you're saying, yeah. bowing their life to Jesus. It's that they're moralistic, therapeutic deists, yeah. meaning they believe in a morality mm-hmm. based on a, well, an image of Jesus, a right and yeah. wrong. If you punch them in the face, they're going to say that's wrong. They want it to be therapeutic. It better feel good. If it yeah. doesn't, most, most American the, you know, Christians don't include in their theology a theology of suffering, that it's a part of the way of Jesus, that yeah. to suffer well and to be joyful in that suffering and then deistic meaning god is far off yeah i follow jesus but he lived two thousand years ago and god spun the world into motion he doesn't have to do with like how i sit with my family at the dinner table that's not a part of his lordship over my life so i really i love that well that's the gift of COVID, isn't it that COVID has taken churches like yours churches like ours and brought us to a point where we can go okay so while everything wants to polarize, it's probably pulling us closer together where we can unite and start saying, okay, so we used to look at quantitative, now we're looking at qualitative, but we're all motivated out of the same thing. How will we make disciples? And how do we know that we are 
accomplishing that mission together. And I, that's one of the things that I think I just have really enjoyed about being a part of Rhythm Community over the weekend is what I see here is a raw authenticity and a growing righteous authenticity. The, the balance of that playing out and seeing that begin to start to happen and catalyze uh, in what I would call an R&D environment, a research and development environment. The truth of the matter is, this is the irony to me, okay, that the apostolic movement of the early church is re-emerging in the current church. And we're going back to what was happening. I, I did not say the emerging church. I said <laughs> the re-emerging church. Yeah. And I think, it's, uh, I think what's happening is the re-emerging church is creating a merging church environment where both established churches and new churches are actually saying, hey, what are you learning on the field? What are you learning in people? Where do you see the Holy Spirit moving? And how do we join forces together so that it can be here on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, that's good, bro. Yeah, when I hear you say that, you know, especially going back to the discipleship piece, I think about this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, Jesus teaches you to live your life as he would live your life. Mm. Yeah. And you know, when I think about the established metrics, you know, in, in the established church, there's often this assumption that um People, again, going back to your, your quote, program driving people, it's, hey, we, we can do it and you can help us do it. Mm -hmm. And we've been using this quote by Home Depot, you can do it <laughs> and we can help. Mm. Yeah. And so when we start to think about this sort of definition that Dallas gives of Jesus teaching you to live your life as he would live your life, then all of a sudden we have a bunch of you know, Christians, that's where little Christ's that are running around being the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we're simply at a posture to say, how can we help you do this, achieve this, mm -hmm. accomplish this, mm -hmm. come alongside you and partner with you? Mm -hmm. And so it goes from, we've been using this phrase a lot, assimilation versus accommodation. Mm -hmm. You're no longer assimilating mm -hmm. into our pattern of what we think is best, but we're, we're going into an accommodation. We want to accommodate you and all that you have and all that God's gifted you in. Um, to be able to achieve the things like Matt's saying, to drop the nets and say, go and fish for men. So my question is not a simple question, but what, what are the challenges in, in that for the established church? And then what are the challenges as you've been talking you know, closely to, uh, to the unification of missional versus attractional, that type of language that's been used? How can we unify each other? How can we be on mission together from an established church to a, um, I guess I'm just gonna say a non-established church, and then back that up. What are the what are the challenges for you guys as you're going into that season to really be able to accommodate people with where they're at and how they're doing life with Jesus? So I think the answer, Jeff, is probably yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Okay. Um, you know that, that's there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm not. I'm not sure we're, uh, as an established church, to be in a sense of uncertainty like we are right now, it's almost like we woke up, threw our hoodie on, and realized we forgot to put our pants on. Can I say that? You know, and we walked outside, and it's like, oh, I didn't finish getting dressed for the day. You know, you're still trying to put things together as we're trying to figure this out. You know, in, in, gen in general... In general, the, the, I'm, you know, I'm still stuck on the Home Depot piece. I, so I don't intend this podcast to be a giant confession fest, but in some ways, 
the established church, my role in that has been that I have found great comfort in programs. They put things in boxes. They put clarity to what you're accomplishing. And in some ways you say, hey, we, we just don't do that. You know? and, and there's a simplicity that has to happen in discipleship all the way across the board. I, I have a friend, uh, Jeremy Hopkins, who says, unclear is unkind. You know, so as a church, when you're not clear about what you're trying to do, it's unkind for people to walk in and say, oh, oh, so you you really expected that or you really wanted that. Um, And he reminds me all the time that if there's not a system, it's not scalable. As disciples, we want to make more. And so there is an accountability that the comfort of what we experience today cannot become the idol of tomorrow. We've got to begin to realize that there's this comfort that we seek, this certainty that we want, whether it be I go to the building and all my friends are there, or whether it's I every Tuesday night, every other week have scheduled a meeting with some closer friends and do that, you know, that those certainty pieces, when they were removed, the question we asked is, can our followers still cut their own steak and eat? Well, if they can't, whose responsibility was that? Well, the answer is both and, right? It's both and. But if we are sheep, and specifically the roles that we play as the people around these mics were shepherds, it's the shepherd's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there is, so we talk about this a little bit as, as shepherds, there is, everybody's giving a staff. On one end, there's a shepherd staff that is bent and the other, it is pointed. We are called to uh, guide or to goad. Mm-hmm. And depending on, if, if you use the hook, you're, you're, you're helping pull people back, bring people around. And, but if you hook people when you should actually goad them, you actually enable them. And not, not in the positive enable, you actually start habits in them where they become dependent on your programs, whatever it may be. If you goad them when you should guide them, you abuse your sheep and they're afraid to step out in faith. And what's happened is, I think, once again, personal confession, I have misused my own personal staff at times, thinking what I'm doing is what should be expected or is what's the natural offense. And to actually stand as a shepherd today saying, I should probably accommodate, or what you're really saying is empower Mm -hmm. people who have, just like me, are empowered with the Holy Spirit, priesthood of all believers. How do I I grab... Uh, something to fan it into flame and come alongside and cheer you on. And and if we fall, we fall together. But we're, you know, Ecclesiastes says it's better for two, <laughs> better for two to fall than one. And what we've kind of said as the church is, did you take our program? Did you go through our process? Oh, you fell? Well, I'll just tell you it's a proven process. You must be you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... Oh, a terrible way to go to our sheep, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a, there, we, we removed our own proximity. And so, but there's also part of this where as, and, and I would, I'll just say this, it's probably a concern for what I think of the part of the missional community is sometimes we walk so closely, it's like, it's like teaching our children how to ride the bike and we never let go of it. You know, it's like, let your kid pedal. You know, we've got to, we've got to empower, we've got to let them go. What, what are your thoughts on some of that, Jeff? I don't know. Again, we're far from having this figured out, but I think what was hitting me, even as you speak again, is um, it's hard. I mean, the reality is people <laughs> see all the fancy lights on stage and all the stuff that happens in the established church in the big service or whatever and think, oh, they must work really hard at that. And they do, yeah. but it's actually way easier than proximity. Proximity mm. is freaking hard. I mean, for I know this is going to your leaders and your attenders and stuff, but 
It's a lot easier to stand on stage and give some great principles on your marriage than it is to sit with a couple and talk through the problems in their marriage. You know what I'm saying? And so, or have a thriving marriage yourself. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, so yeah. I say that I don't, I don't mean that to be like terrifying. I mean that's that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And so, as leaders, if you're getting to sit down and do that, and it is emotionally draining sometimes, it is really tough. It's also really rewarding at times too. So those are maybe fewer and further between for sure. Mm. But I think I think if you if you are just happy-go-lucky in proximity, you're doing it wrong. It should be a little messy. It should be a little ugly. And and that, I think, frankly, is scary to a lot of established churches. We're learning that to be that again, maybe. So, I, Yeah, I, I would wrestle with this, though, because, you know, so what um, I believe it's Corinthians talks about some plant, some water, some harvest. Your unique church print oftentimes defines, we're, all, we're called to do all three, mm-hmm. but oftentimes churches are better at one of those three. For sure. You know, and oftentimes if if we look at the movement of the overall church, this is where this polarization shows up. I think sometimes we start talking attractional, missional, mm-hmm. and we create a chasm. What we really need to look at is more of like a coin where they are actually integrated together. Uh, there's, well, Jesus, maybe physically, there was nothing to draw us to him because of his appearance. He was infectiously attractive yeah. in his mission and his purpose. And um, what we have recognized is our expression of creativity and how we gather together has certain components to it that are traditionally defined as attractional. But the teaching, the proximity, and the response time of our services yeah are intended to mobilize the mission of what God's doing in it. And so now we've actually had to start wrestling with if discipleship happens outside of the room and people are either on their app or on their TV or in a room with somebody, can they have a connect, discover, respond environment, whether with one or with three or with 30 in a, even our own worship context? And Jeff's been really good to, he, he set that table for us initially but now, you know, we've had to start asking those questions. What's, what's that look like outside of the big room and how's that playing out? Yeah, for sure. I, I would, I would want to make sure I come back and say that. Is I'm, I really didn't mean that as a bash to the big service because there is a great amount of things. It's the, some people need that anonymity to come and go like, I don't want anybody to know I'm here. I just want to check this thing out. And then they start to build the relationships. And that's always been the theory of the large church. It's just that I think we got so hung up on that. Yeah. Now that we're realizing what we're missing in that relationship, it's super important to keep that on the table and to work with churches that are doing it really well like you guys. But if And so I think I'll just continue that thought though. What we're all guilty of is our favorite style of church yeah. becomes the enemy of everybody else's style of church. Mm-hmm. And so missional and attractional become enemies rather than partners. And I don't even say it more specifically, churches become, not just the type of churches, but all churches become competitors. Yeah. We're competing. You know, it's the thing about Apple and, and Microsoft. If you've read uh, Simon Sinek's stuff or heard him speak, he talks about speaking at each one, a conference for Apple and a conference for Microsoft. And when he was with Microsoft, all they wanted to talk about was Apple. When he was with Apple, all they wanted to talk about <laughs> was the future. And he said, you're going to lose in business every single time if you're always fixated on your competitor. Yeah. Rise above. And so I think that's mm. what I'm thinking about, uh, something that's chewing in my mind. I don't know if this is cynic or 
or whoever it is, but you know, I think about systems and I want to systematize this whole thing. But when you look at the book of Acts, there's no structure or system that is even close to being able to contain the culture of Christianity that's spreading throughout. And you look at this, you know, discipleship movements are happening all over the world. Um, it's it, it's scary because it could just get out, out of hand, you know, so to mm-hmm. speak, or, or at least in a lot of people's minds. But this quote uh, talks about culture eats systems for breakfast. <laughs> so sure. I think in the season, mm-hmm. what we've seen in COVID is it's exposed the evangelical American Christianity's mm-hmm. culture. And then specifically our own individual cultures that were like, I didn't know we were here, but when you take away the programs, you take away the system, you're really revealing the culture that you've established or that we've established. And that's not just a church, that's the American church. And so what would be, as we're as we're kind of thinking along those lines and, and coming back full circle, what would be some encouragement um, from you guys to Rhythm Community Church for our people, and then even broader than that, what would be some encouragement for the unity of all believers? You know, that John 17, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. What would be an encouragement uh, from you guys to our community and then specific, you know, specifically and then generally for the Valley as we go forward in 2021? I would just say, First of all, I was just super encouraged being here. I mean, it was great to be down here and experience uh, a different style, a different approach to how church is done. And I think the clearly genuine community and relationship mm-hmm. you guys had mm-hmm. was um, just overwhelming in a, in a positive way. I think so. You guys have something great going here. Um, and I know you're continuing to build that. But um, I just want to encourage you greatly in that. That was that was a breath of fresh air for us. Not that we don't ever have that in any of our groups right. and all that sort of thing. But it was just really encouraging. And so, um, and then I think, I think secondly, just you guys as, as leaders, as we've talked to you off air, um, you're longing to work with other churches in the community and be uh, united versus having those enemies that are fighting with all the time. That, that is an entirely, frankly, different approach, as we said earlier, that the church hasn't done well for years. And so uh, I just want to encourage you guys and, and those who are following you, you guys are doing a great job of leading in that direction. So... Very encouraging. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm real similar with this. I think the authentic rawness that I talked about, a realness, that it was overwhelming. I, I saw more bro hugs uh, in two gatherings with you guys than I saw in the last month. You know, I was always like, I was like oh, my gosh, everybody hugs around here, which is, it, you know, Midwest is expected to be really relational. And I was like, wow, this is an open community. And I'm realizing how diverse there yes ethnic diversity economic diversity some of those were showing up but the diverse uh faith worldview perspective that was in the room and then trying to drive it towards an authentic righteousness that hey we're going to open scripture together and we have to we have to be accountable in this conversation this this is the gathering this is why we're getting together is to really not just to bro hug it not just to eat good food, whatever it was, let's get into this. And, and that was that was so encouraging just to, to see that happen and to feel the tension of worlds colliding while the spirit is beginning to stir some things up. The 
the learning to play well together is something the church as a whole has to learn in the American context. Um, globally, I, I don't think many of our missionaries uh, and people who are truly sent outside of this country feels as much of the denominationalism and the division that we sense here. You know, we feel like a lot of times... Um, as churches, I feel like we're living out NASCAR more than anybody else. We've got everybody's stickers on her, and we want to make sure everybody gets their their due. And then we're like, oh, but we got to cross the goal line first, you know. And um, we're also running in circles. And, and we're also running in circles. That's, that's <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, and, and we have to admit that there is a, there is a strong movement of God, that what happens in Acts. And the system really is, it's the spirit is the catalyst, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst, you know. And the question always is, I think for all of us, what makes us different than the Boy Scouts? I mean, if we're looking at our youth ministry, what makes us, you know, we do good works, we have events, we all kind of have the same language and insider conversation. Is there anything different than the local church and Boy Scouts? Well, it should be the Holy Spirit. There should be a clear defining mark in every one of us that it is a God-centric transformation, not just a group-centric or club-centric dynamic. And so for us, we've had to, COVID has afforded us the privilege to actually set up Zoom calls and phone conversations and, hey, what are you doing? What, what's the reopening look like? How are you really handling this? What about people coming in the building? Do, what if you don't get in the building? And I've got friends from everyone who has said, we're not opening for months. And then I've got other friends that are like, we got to get back together. Well, if you rush to get back together, you're not necessarily wrong and you're not necessarily right. But what's happening for everybody who's rushing to get back in the building is they're saying, how are we caring for our people? How are we, how are we discipling our people? So the building becomes just a vessel, not the vehicle. And so people who are not coming back, they're not right or wrong, but they're asking, how do we care for our people? How do we mobilize our people? Once again, it's not the vehicle, it's a vessel. And so in both environments, it's encouraged. So I would, I would just encourage your team, keep the authentic rawness, hunger for the authentic righteousness. That's, where, that's what's gonna sustain and grow what God's doing here. And then in playing well with other people, continue to catalyze. What is the unifying mark? It's the surrendered life before Jesus that is fueled by the Holy Spirit's movement in all of us. And let's celebrate that. Not whether you're in a building, not whether you're attractional, not whether you're outside a building, not whether you're missional. What can God do with us together and how do we both complement each other? Man, that was awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pouring into our community. We appreciate you. Thanks, Dallas. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.